What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. Roundlyx.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money is gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Roundlyx, that's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com. Go sign up now. When I need to trade crypto on the go, Voyager is the only app I trust. It's so intuitive and simple. In just a few minutes, you can download the app, create an account and transfer cash from your bank account to start trading. Voyager offers commission-free trading. That's right, free trading of more than 30 top crypto assets, which has saved me tons of money on fees. The best part? They're offering interest on Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and multiple stable coins. No lockups or limits. Visit investvoyager.com or search Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free, that's right, free Bitcoin to try out my favorite crypto trading app. Use promo code SCOTT25. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only event and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Hi, everyone. I feel I should mention that the tone of the show will continue to be far more serious over the coming weeks as the world deals with COVID-19 and markets in turmoil. Uh, It's a scary time for everyone, so my aim is to provide quality information from informed individuals and to help keep everyone calm in this trying time. Today's guest definitely fits the bill perfectly. Ryan Selkis is an entrepreneur, blogger, venture capitalist who is the founder and CEO of Masari in New York City, a firm that is building an open data library for the crypto asset class. But perhaps more importantly, Ryan has been sounding the alarm on COVID-19 for months and has been far ahead of the curve in trying to get people to take the disease seriously and to prepare for the worst. So, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. I can uh, hear your kids in the background, much like you'll probably hear mine. I think that's going to become the uh, <laughs> new normal for future podcasting, uh, is that we're going to get a uh, quick window into every guest's life from here on out. <laughs> well, I, I think in general, we want to find the silver linings uh, in, in the months ahead. And and I'd imagine that one of them in crypto in particular would be uh, having a little bit more human element uh, to most of the personalities of the, uh, that are otherwise shit posting or getting trolled relentlessly on Twitter. Um, so it, it uh, you know, I think it's certainly going to be eye opening uh, to uh, see people's bedrooms uh, to the extent that they're on, you know, zoom meetings to see people's, um, you know, kitchens or, you know, play areas. I know I've done a couple podcasts where there's a bassinet in the background. Oh, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's not all bad. Um but, uh, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, to, to your point, I, um, uh, I think, you know, I, I've, I felt good about, um, our role at Masari and, and communicating updates about, uh, this virus and, um, the dirty little secret about me and, and my entire career is, uh, I'm not that smart. 
hence the moniker the two-bit idiot. But <laughs> when really, really smart people that have some end domain expertise, like Balaji Srinivasan, who was uh, pre- previously a, a PhD in genomics, and um, and it sold a, a company for four hundred million dollars uh, focused on on genetic sequencing. Uh, when he says that there's going to be a global pandemic and he's sounding the alarm, I tend to listen, especially when he's one of my investors. So um, I think Bology's done uh, the industry and and anybody that would listen really a great service. Uh, I'm I'm just happy that uh, we and and me in particular had a platform to amplify. Yeah, I mean, you know, they always say if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So it sounds like you've uh, created the right room, so to speak. Um, so to get right into it, I read your uh, recent Medium article, Rip Moon Times, which only 10 days after being published already seems somewhat like prophecy. Uh, how have you managed, you know, obviously I, I can tell you're listening to the right people, but how have you managed in general to stay so far ahead of the news cycle? You know, the information access and, and I think curative ability scales, um, at some point you do get overwhelmed, but... Uh, if you think about it like scaling a, a company, right? Scaling your your knowledge base and network is um, is is in a lot of ways very similar because um, I'll, I'll go back to when I first got into Bitcoin. Uh, the sources for Bitcoin were CoinDesk and Reddit. That was pretty much it, and Twitter um, to to a lesser extent. But crypto Twitter was not that big yet. It was still mostly about Reddit. Um, and this was late 2013. So this is you know when Bitcoin had just come onto the mainstream consciousness. I started blogging full time in, in November of that year before the big spike to a thousand. And um, you know I, I had everybody on my on my email uh, newsletter. Uh, it, it was it was you know similarly structured to um, to how you know my newsletter is you know still structured. It's it's similar to, to what Pomp does, just like you know quick above the fold, no bullshit uh, news blurbs. And um, uh, pretty much all the executives in the industry uh, were were subscribers from day one. Uh, partly because I met a bunch of them at, at you know a couple of conferences and, and just you know auto signed them up, which you're technically not supposed to do, but they were happy about it. Um, and you know partly because there just, there wasn't a whole lot of news. It was still just all about Bitcoin at that time. And um, and and you know, Coinbase had just raised its. Uh, it hadn't even raised its Series B yet. This was right before they raised their Series B from Andreessen Horowitz in November. Um, and you know, blockchain hadn't done their big round. And you know, BitPay was maybe like one of the only other funded companies. So if you think about like how um, your knowledge base scales, well, it scales with all of the executives on that team, and the executives were able to scale because their teams have grown and their their you know end expertise accelerates. Um, and, and compounds over time alongside with the, the company's growth. So, um, so much of uh, quote unquote expertise is not being very smart, but it's knowing uh, how to curate quickly and kind of level up the 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 curators that you're 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 using as the the situation gets bigger and and in this case the crisis evolves so in um in in late january early february i would look to investors and and maybe the handful of experts on um on twitter just the same way you know following the the november 2013 comparison you go to the executives in the industry for for bitcoin well in this case you went to the handful of people that were just talking about it period um, 
you fast forward six weeks later, there are much, much better sources of information. And some of the people that I followed initially just have, have kind of fallen by the wayside. So um, that ability to just kind of cycle through sources and, and, and upgrade the quality um, of inputs uh, to, to, you know, my mental model for, for uh, what's going on and, and how this could play out has, has been pretty important. Um, now, I, I, I should have a major disclaimer there, though, is no one has any idea what's going to happen next. Um, certainly not me, but it's, it's just, uh, too, too complex a system. There's, there's too many variables. Um, I think the, the important thing in a situation like this is, is at least understanding what as many of the variables, as many of the known unknowns are, um, so that you can kind of develop your own set of assumptions and, and try to not only do your own research, but, but contribute research, um, to what is probably the only meaningful conversation that people are having right now worldwide. Yeah, I mean, it really is the only thing anyone's talking about. And it seems that, you know, at the core, you just have a knack for uh, cutting through the bullshit, so to speak, um, to finding what's actually good information, which is just extremely difficult, I think, for your average person who doesn't have access to those CEOs and that sort of uh, knowledge base. So, um, as you said, I mean, nobody knows what's coming next, but I think we can draw some uh, immediate conclusions. I mean, what do you think, you know, in the coming days, weeks, uh, we should be looking at specifically in the United States where you and I both are located? I want to stay optimistic. Um, I, I really think that we're going to see some unprecedented activity uh, and maybe as soon as the next week. Uh, I think that um, we're going to see uh, a basically a, a cash transfer program that has never been attempted before, something uh, maybe even on the scale of what Andrew Yang had proposed uh, with his universal basic income proposals. Yeah. Uh, I think you will see a wholesale shutdown, more or less, of, of the U.S. economy. Um, and as part of that, I think you'll also see a uh, an unprecedented uh, shutdown of the markets um, for some length of time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think they're going to shut the stock market. At least, I mean, it's happened before, so I don't see why it wouldn't happen in, in this this situation. Well, I mean, it, it, yes and no, right? I mean, for days, it's happened, not in general. Yeah, yeah, not not for like a month, right? And right. and and I I do think that you could see you know a multi week, um, if not month long, shutdown of the markets at some point, um, to coincide with uh, whatever the the you know mega stimulus is that comes out. Um, and then the question is, that's not without risk, right? Because because the question then becomes, what happens after that? Right. right. What, what if what if it's not enough or or what if you need to extend it? And and that's when things start to, you know, go a little bit haywire. And and the reason that we're in uncharted territory right now is the US is very unique in the sense that we had a ton of warning. The the virus had already spread internationally and, and had a chance to embed itself in many, many cities at basically the same starting point. So you're not just trying to, you know, cordon off Wuhan or cordon off New York City. Now you're trying to uh, play this, you know, this high stakes game of whack-a-mole and, and you don't have enough paddles. So, you know, what happens if LA, New York, Chicago, Seattle, San Francisco are all within a week of each other in terms of severity, but unique situation number two for the US, we haven't done any fucking testing. So yeah. Um, you have no way to know where we are in terms of that trajectory. And in fact, the only way that you're really going to know, unfortunately, is when the hospitals start hitting capacity. And at that point, it's it's already you know far far too late. So, um, uh, I'm 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 
trying to say uh, optimistic, but there's a, a difference between being you know sanguine and uh, and and rationally optimistic. And uh, unfortunately, I think that the the worst is still to come, and and the worst could be very, very, very bad, um, not just from a, you know, human perspective um, and from an economic perspective, which are the obvious ones. But I think the uh, if, if things are as bad as they could get and, and we really did screw up testing as, as thoroughly as, as it seems we may have, uh, the American image and, and self-image, the American psyche could have, you know, irreparable damage um, depending on uh, whether the response at this point immediately today is sufficient or not. Uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, many would claim that the American psyche was somewhat overinflated in the, in the first place. But yes, I do think it's likely to be a very humbling experience. And it actually touches on the, the irony here, maybe that China will be the greatest benefactor of all of this as their economy is already coming back online and they seem to have nearly eradicated the spread of the virus. You know, they're, they're having uh, single single digit numbers of new cases on a daily basis and so it seems likely to me as much as americans would not want to admit it that china could likely be the superpower moving forward when the smoke clears yeah i i, I think there's some truth to that um to a certain extent it doesn't uh it's going to happen anyway right and and you know maybe china is not the superpower right because their political system um makes it difficult for them to unite uh, Asia, right? It, it is, is going to be very difficult for China um, to develop the same ties uh, to South Korea, Japan, India, um, and, and other you know, Asian countries because they are so socially and politically different, um, I think. Um, but, uh, it, you know, for, for, you know, some... Uh, for some reason, people are, are under the uh, disillusion that the U.S. is still the, the only global superpower anyway. Uh, so it's, it's, it's less about China becoming the only global superpower and more just a realization that, that the U.S. is not alone anymore. And we, are, uh, we have at least an equal counterweight in terms of political and, and economic clout. Um, and that's you know, in the form of China right now. Yeah, you touched on... Um Obviously, the Andrew Yang $1,000 to every American a month, uh, which seems almost uh, inevitable at this point. What are the long-term implications of you know, the government uh, dispersing helicopter money in that manner? Well, they kind of have to do it, number one. Um, right. Because otherwise, you know, you're talking about a depression. You're talking about um, just mass unemployment and, and, you know, personal bankruptcies and, uh, defaults on mortgages. And I, I mean, just, it's, it's just, you know, chaos. Um, and to a certain extent that that's probably going to happen anyway. Um, Agreed. but, but how do you, how do you contain it? Um, how do you, um, how do you soften the, the, the entirety of the blow at least somewhat, um, and then unwind the consequences over, over a multi-year period. And I think um, the uh, you, you would generally think about Bitcoin uh, and other uh, inflation hedges as assets that would perform equally poorly during a flight, a, a wholesale panicky flight to liquidity, which is the same thing that we saw in 2008. But once you hit a bottom, 
uh, in this whole scenario. Once once there is light at the end of the tunnel, um, and it's clear that no matter how bad and how deep and how dark the worst element uh, of, of this crisis is, there is going to be something at the other end of the tunnel. The question then is, what happens next? Um, and with the amount of, of printing that's going on and um, with the kind of direct cash transfers uh, in particular, I, I think it's it's hard to imagine that being um, anything but a net positive for assets like gold and, and assets like Bitcoin. That's not to say that we couldn't go down to, you know, uh, sub 3000 or uh, if things got bad enough, maybe even sub 1000. I, I, I doubt that we could ever go back into the, you know, triple digits, you know, knock on wood. Um, for no other reason than I just, you know, like at a, at a certain point, like I'm a, I'm a big buyer at that point and I'm a minnow compared to many other investors that have been in this for a long time and that already have uh, gobs of cash sitting on the sideline. Um, so there is like a, um, there is a true believer TM, uh, uh, you know, buyer of, of last resort, even in, in the nuclear scenarios for, for Bitcoin and, and probably Ether in particular. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think, you know, after Bitcoin had its worst week, obviously, of late, had a effectively a 50% drop in a day. Uh, I think it shook the faith, certainly, of a lot of the uh, hardcore believers, but probably not the ones you're talking about who do have that cash on the sideline. The question is, what you know? I guess what would make them start buying? They're clearly not doing it yet, based on volume and and what we're seeing, you know, on the charts or in the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, um, like. Anyone that sees forty percent down overnight thinks, "Oh fuck, man!" But I, uh, I personally, I, I was actually shocked um, at how little that impacted me. Uh, like I, 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 I felt, <laughs> I, I felt, I felt much, much worse in November of two thousand eighteen. To be honest with you, um, and but you know a big big part of that was I had already hedged around this exact scenario, right? So um, I was basically all cash and and Bitcoin, a little bit of like Ether and, and other assets like Zcash uh, before the coronavirus came onto my radar, and I didn't really change anything except I used some cash to buy um, out of the money S and P puts, thinking. There's no way to hedge Bitcoin inexpensively or, or you know, rationally because the the implied volatility and and, and everything is just so out of whack. But um, and you have the uh, you know counterparty risk of the exchange. Yeah, you got the counter. Like it's it just yeah. just like it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, unless yeah. you're like a miner or or someone right. that's doing like large blocks like this. Um, so uh, you know, my my general thinking was that if everything went risk off. Um, Bitcoin would sell off, but so would the S and P, and and so you know you, you basically do this this kind of synthetic hedge. Yeah. Um, and if if that hedge hadn't worked, I you know uh, I don't know if my apartment is high enough. I shouldn't actually I shouldn't joke like that. Strike that for a second. Because I, I, I uh, it, it's that's actually that's not your real mentality, of course. No, no. Well, a it's not my real mentality, and I'm not trying to make light because I know that there are going to be some people that. Um, that that are taking this extremely hard because we're talking about you know real life changing swings and in, in savings mm -hmm. and, and and kind of personal and uh, there are people who are all in you know to various assets but Bitcoin certainly I think you touched on it Bitcoin and Ethereum 
seem like relatively safer bets in this time than the remaining basket of altcoins, certainly. I mean, do you agree with that? What do you think happens to these smaller projects and altcoins in general if this continues? I, I mean, I, I, th- I generally think that crypto will always trade as a basket of assets, um, but you have long-term decoupling of crap versus you know, interesting assets. There's always, I think, going to be an element of the shitcoin casino that exists where there's just no rhyme or reason. It's just stuff to stuff to pump, stuff to dump. Just like you have the pink sheets uh, and the 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 penny stocks in, in the existing markets, right? There, there's that that fringe element that you know that gambling, um, you know, uh, kind of shady underbelly of the industry is, is going to exist in crypto, just like it does. In broader finance, the question is: All right, if eighty percent of economic value is Bitcoin, and then another ten percent is Ether, and then uh, another you know f- five cents of that is the shitcoin casino, what is the other five percent, and can that ever grow valuable uh, enough so that it, it starts to cut meaningfully into Bitcoin's market dominance, and 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 that would require you to have actually useful networks that are. Um, not just monetary assets, um, but you know, network tokens that are essentially um, tradable and 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 valuable um, as uh, as as revenue or or income producing instruments, right? So, do you have a, a, a claim on network fees um, or or kind of network cash flows or some other? physical or, or intangible, but real good um, when you hold a given token. Right. There are very, uh, very few of those assets right now. Very few. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I've gotten you know the friend of a friend calls over and over again over the past weeks telling me that a lot of the smaller projects in the space and companies were likely forced to liquidate their holdings on that one single bad day You know, to cover business expenses. Have you heard anything of the sort? I mean, do you believe a lot of these projects are already at the sort of at the red line now? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we um, we never really, you know, just, uh, I've certainly heard a little bit of that. I, I think that's always been the case. It always will be the case where people don't manage their treasury uh, and they get too ahead of themselves. Um, you know, from, from a sorry standpoint, I'll, 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 I'll be uh, transparent. I mean, we, um, uh, last Monday, before the sell-off, uh, we kind of looked at the market conditions, and 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 we had about five percent uh, of crypto on our balance sheet, and it was basically just you know uh, getting paid in Bitcoin, getting paid in Ether, you know, over the years. But you know, five percent still five percent. I mean, you're talking about a you know a, a month of our runway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided uh, to liquidate uh, all that. I think you know everybody at the company has uh, personal crypto exposure. I did not personally touch any of my my crypto assets, but you know we felt uh, that if we were ever going to be in a situation where we turned around to our investors and said, you know, hey, we want to raise a little bit of buffer capital, and the market moved against us and we lost you know like a couple hundred thousand dollars on our, our Bitcoin exposure. Any mainstream investor would say, "Don't fucking come to me for money." Like, you know, you're you're supposed to be building your business, and the reason you need buffer capital is because you're irresponsible and you're speculating. Um, so, you know, I, I think we were we were good to get ahead of that, um, even though it wasn't that much exposure. I think um, just as we saw in 2018, I'm sure that there are a lot of 
companies, projects that got caught with their pants down uh, and were, were taking much, much more exposure than they should have been. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. And I think that's sort of the expectation. Um, I'm curious now, I mean, you know, obviously the safe haven asset and digital gold narratives have taken somewhat of a huge shot of late. Do you think that those can be reignited as markets continue to be in turmoil and you know things sort of get worse with the global economy? Yeah. I mean, I can't shout this from the rooftops enough. Uh, Dan McArdle, my co-founder, had laid this out two years ago uh, in, a, in a 2018 thread. And it's gotten some pickup. Uh, the you know Fortune magazine just did a, a write up with a bunch of you know folks talking about this very issue of, of whether you know crypto is a safe haven, and they cited you know Dan's you know, 2018 thread, which I I agree with, have agreed with, have written about, wrote about in February again when, when I talked about you know hedging having, hedging your coronavirus exposure. Um, nothing has changed about the Bitcoin narrative for a very large chunk, basically for anyone that I know with half a brain. Uh, in the industry that knows anything about finance and knows anything about um, like the history of, of you know money and, and risk assets or, or anything, I have never heard uh, someone say that Bitcoin would perform well or be just fine, thank you, during a panicky flight to liquidity, right? Like a, a disaster scenario. That is not the hedge. The hedge for Bitcoin has always been other fiat currencies. Right. right. Will, will we have hyper hyperinflationary events? Will the dollar or your local currency lose its purchasing power because governments are irresponsible and have to print their way out of their deficits? Um, there's a there's such a big difference there, right? You're I I I I really do not know. I I want to see. We should name and shame the uh, the, the 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 quote unquote Bitcoin experts that have ever said that Bitcoin would perform well. In a disaster scenario where there's a mass flight to liquidity, because I just I've never I've never seen it, and it's, I feel like it's a nuance that's lost on the mainstream media. It's probably lost on the the general public, um, and and quite frankly, it's a missed opportunity because um, if that is the you know whether or not it's true or not um, that you know uh, that crypto enthusiasts, experts, whatever you want to call you know our our community, whether it's true or not that. They had the correct thesis and and made that distinction, like I just outlined. It's kind of irrelevant because that that didn't saturate the mainstream, and so now it just looks like oh, Bitcoin actually didn't deliver as promised. When in reality, this should be arguably the the finest hour from a, a marketing perspective and from a, a narrative perspective. Um, not right now during the disaster, right? Because because then you just look like an, an inhuman pariah. Right. Um, but as part of the cleanup, right, your currencies may not succeed. Your government's mismanaged this outbreak. Um, and now they're going to inflate away the purchasing power of your money. There's a solution for that. Um, and, and, and in every way, that is, is such a golden opportunity that I, I think you know, might have been missed because there's, there's been a mass misperception of how Bitcoin would perform in an environment like this. Right, well, no. I think that uh, there's a think distinction. That it, yeah, Sorry, do I think it would? Do I think it would have gone off a cliff fifty percent? No, uh, right. Exactly. I, I think the, the, that's the, what the, I was going to touch on. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the the speed was 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 incredible, but I think there were other forces at work. Right, there, there was there was probably some you know those those forced liquidations. There was you know maybe some um, some behind the scenes uh, structural deficiencies in in some of the some of the exchanges. Some of these stories might come out months after the fact. Um, 
or years after the fact, but the that doesn't change the general direction of the argument, right? Right. I mean, it kind of almost sounds like there's a differentiation between the value of Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin, because the price moves obviously when these uh, outside factors hit, but you know the value proposition kind of remains the same, which is that you know if they keep printing fiat, eventually uh, you know Bitcoin will truly have its its chance chance to shine. But you talked about some of the structural deficiencies potentially with the exchanges. Obviously, I think the big elephant in the room for everyone is BitMEX and that their liquidation engine was basically firing endlessly into an empty order book. And there was a point there, apparently, where, uh, or allegedly, I should say that, you know, it was about 15 million away from zero and they uh, had a a mysterious shutdown, which I think you can argue probably was them protecting their ass. I mean, are these exchanges really bad for the space? And in that regard, I mean, that they can drive price so so heavily during uh, this kind of volatility? You know, Bitcoin's open 24-7, right? This, yep. it's a, the, the, the ability to do maintenance or, or kind of stress test the system is, um, uh, I, I think most of the exchanges do, you know, they do a fine job. Now, the, the issue is um, because it's, not as heavily regulated because you're talking about something where there aren't circuit breakers, there aren't um, kind of global, you know, uh, cooperatives. Um, you can have some of these. You can have some of these issues. But we've also had flash crashes on like the New York Stock Exchange, um, right? So, so it, every it, day. <laughs> well, yeah, every every day this week, right? Um, but but you know, but the, even in in like steady state environments, you've had um, like fat fingered traders. Um, you know, key in a, a, a wrong order and the algos have misfired and, and you, you've, you've seen this really crazy, um, you know, V's in, in, in traditional market order books. Um, if, if that happens once every couple of years in, in the New York Stock Exchange, um, it should be expected that you're going to have similar kinks and, 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 you know, black swan events that move things past uh, the level that that some of the crypto exchanges have you know baked in resilience to to actually support and 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 keep business as usual so i don't read i don't read too much into that um again i don't want to speculate on exactly what happened because we have um we a we haven't looked at it as a as a research team and b uh, it, it, even if we did it, it probably would take quite a long time to to unparse exactly what happened do you believe that crypto should have circuit breakers uh no because it's, it's it would be impossible to coordinate Right across all the exchanges. Roundlyx.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money is gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Roundlyx, that's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com. Go sign up now. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. 
Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. Speaking of exchanges, you were the first person, I believe, to run the story of the bankrupting of uh, Mt. Cox in early 2014. So you obviously have some experience here. Can you talk talk about that a bit? Uh, I mean, you know, there, there's there's not much to talk about, really. I mean... I'd mentioned, uh, you know, how I got started was just by writing every day and, and you know, meeting some of the executives. And when I say meeting the executives, it wasn't this, you know, like um, uh, it wasn't this, you know, kind of insider smoke filled room meeting. Illuminati. You know, yeah. When I, when I got into the industry, um, like the, the, the team at Coinbase was Brian Armstrong, Fred Urson, Olaf, Charlie Lee, and Adam White. Like that was the entire team. And I th- there might've been like one other engineer there who was very much behind the scenes. And I think still is. So, so I won't drop his name, but um, like that was the entire Coinbase team. Um, so, you know, obviously they're all executives now more generally, like Charlie had already created, you know, Litecoin, but um, you know, now Adam's at uh, C- COO at Backed. obviously Olaf is, is head of Polychain, you know, Fred at Paradigm. Um you know, that the beginning of the, the Coinbase mafia, you know, really, you know, kind of in November of 2013, you know, that, that was the entirety. So when I say executives, it's, it's very like hindsight looking like Olaf was a customer support rep, I think for Coinbase. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, like no one knew what they were doing and we were all just kind of making it up on the fly. So, um, uh, it's only executives in, in hindsight that I, I say that it was basically just meeting people that were full time in the industry, um, and and at that point, um, and I, I shared this information on on Charlie's podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, because my source finally gave me per- permission to talk about the story. Uh, but Ben Davenport, who's the former CTO of, of BitGo and was also an angel investor. Um, he or chief product officer at Pico, um, he uh, basically received these this crisis strategy draft document um, from counterparties at at Mt. Gox, and they were soliciting Western investors for a bailout and and you know a, a takeover really. Um, and he sent it to me. He's like, "Hey, these guys are going to open tomorrow, but they're short eight hundred thousand bitcoins or you know whatever it was." Um, and uh, I just kind of had the story fall into my lap. So it was it was less about me like studying the, the exchange microstructure and saying these numbers don't add up. It was it right. was more just again uh, who 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 I knew uh, and how I was able to judge information and curate information as it came in versus doing the sleuth work myself. I gotcha. So um, to go back, I guess to COVID and what's sort of happening with the markets now. Uh, it's funny. I continue to hear this assertion that. The, uh, certainly on CNBC a hundred times a day that this is not an economic crisis. It's a biological crisis, which to me has become somewhat inaccurate. Uh, and we keep hearing that it's not 2008 because the banks are well capitalized, which seems to, to me to discount the likely effects on credit markets and when people actually start calling in for their money. Uh, I mean, they're well capitalized for now. Seems like a more accurate take. I, I love your thoughts on this idea that this is not presently an economic crisis. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Look, they could say whatever they want. It doesn't change the fact that the market is down, you know, thirty plus percent, um, and it doesn't change the fact that you're going to see unemployment go from historic lows to historic highs in a matter of months. 
Like that's just, <laughs> but you can call it whatever the fuck you want. Uh, and you can say it's not like 2008, but at some point it does become uh, like 2008. You know, the, and the I issue is at that point. Yeah. Well, but, but the issue is you, um, you can infuse liquidity in, into the system. You can have your federal government and, and federal reserve buy up troubled assets. You can try to, un, you know, disentangle the, um, the, the, you know, credit default swaps and, and all the toxic waste that was, um, you know, part of the, the financial crisis and, and, you know, just part of the asset cleanup because they're all intangible financial assets. So you can manage around that, even though the exposure was massive. You can't print more antibiotics. You can't, uh, you, you can't, you can't print more raw materials, uh, and, and, you know, fix some of these broken supply chains. You can't just, um, you can't just salvage people's livelihoods when they're out of commission for, for three months. It, it, there, there, there's nothing like it that we've seen in our lifetime. So, um, it, it's, it's not a financial crisis until it is. Uh, and the best case scenario that I, I think everybody's hoping for is that, you know, a 30 day shutdown of the U S and, and some major countries in the West becomes a, you know, sort of mass, um, human, wide jubilee, uh, from, from work and from, um, uh, you know, just the, the day-to-day, uh, toils and, and intermingling that we've come so accustomed to, and it will be tough for a while, but if, if it could be truly like globally coordinated and enforceable, um, and then you could turn everybody back online gradually, uh, then, you know, maybe you can see a a V-shaped recovery. The issue is I I don't know anyone that really trusts our, our leaders at this point. So, you know, it's either too little, too late, or, you know, we're going to keep going in the zigzag pattern where you shut down, things get better. You turn back on, things get worse. You shut down, things get better. And, and, you know, if that happens until a vaccine is developed, um, it's, you know, it, all bets are off in terms of what happens next. Um, I don't know what's happening, but neither do any of the policy experts, you know. So uh, either either they didn't know a month ago, uh, and so why should you trust them now right. when it comes to something that's outside of their domain of knowledge? Or they did know a month ago and they lied to you a month ago, so why should you trust them now? Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, the, the, the key question is there are only tough answers. Uh, and, you know, there might be some solutions, but none of them are, are easy or, or, you know, politically palatable right now. They just have to be made and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see which societies are the most resilient in the months ahead. I mean, it's interesting. You're already hearing stories, certainly in Seattle of a restaurateur who had to lay off almost a thousand people, you know, really almost within a week. I mean, everyone I know in the service industry either is, effectively at home wondering if they're going to have a job, but certainly have no paycheck. I mean, even after this is all said and done, if there's helicopter money, you know, most of these businesses are going to close. If you're paying $30,000 a month rent in New York City for a shop, you can't even close down for a week, much less a month or two. I mean, it seems to me like we're going to have, you know, 100 people to every available job when, when this is all over. So, it's hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as jobs and unemployment, as you said. I, I don't really know how they fix that. <laughs> so, um, I'm just wondering if now we're sort of coming into a new normal 
with, uh, w- with what's happening and that sort of things will be fundamentally different when this is all over? Well, you know, I think one of the things that happens, I, I, I haven't really seen much discussion of this just yet, but I, I don't know how the, the euro survives this, right? So, so let's, let's, take, let's take the U.S. out of the equation. Uh, given everything that's going on in Europe, they're not that much different from the U.S. in terms of their their level of unpreparedness right now. Um, and I would say, you know, the U.S. dollar is still the flight to to safety. But given all the political dysfunction in Europe that exists already, uh, to the extent that that persists and and gets worse as this crisis deepens. Um, you're going to see pretty extreme imbalances in terms of debt burden, in terms of the the health system burden throughout Europe, and I, I you know, they're already starting to shut borders down. Um, so, you know, what happens with that common currency? Th- that is the reserve currency that I think um, you'd uh, you'd look to see, and 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 it, it is still a very open question as to whether. Um, that becomes the the major currency to fall. You know, the, the yuan is not going anywhere. The U.S. dollar is not going anywhere um, because it would just be too globally catastrophic. But the euro already chinks in the armor. You're right. I mean, I haven't heard a single person mention that. So what happens if the euro fails? Everybody goes back to their own uh, currencies. Well, that's the th- that's the thing. Like we don't we've we've not seen that in. Uh, you know, in, in many, many decades. And, and the last time that you had, you know, mass currency failures like that, it was, you know, the, the global economy looked very different. It was much less interconnected. So, um, you know, all, all bets are off. Um, I read a, actually something this morning that's going around um, that the expectation now should be effectively 18 months of this. And you touched on it before. It's really just biding time until a, a vaccine. Um, but that, there's actually a case for everybody, you know, being in self isolation for 18 months, <laughs> which sounds absolutely absurd, but seems to be almost somewhat realistic. Even if it's, you know, staggered through cities and people come out for a month and go back into isolation for two months or, you know, whatever that pattern is. I, I find that to be an almost impossibly long time. I think that the the vaccine cycle will, will get shortened um, just because this is such a, you know, a globally, you know, existential threat to so many of our systems. Um, so I feel like those timelines will get it. You're already starting to see uh, some of the timelines get accelerated. Uh, if they can find a vaccine, you know, it will basically be uh, every single. Uh, let me put it to you this way, right? If we if we saw an asteroid coming to us and the whole world had to build a laser to shoot I've the seen that movie. out of the sky, right? Like, <laughs> You would you would bend rules and you would work on a very accelerated time frame um, because if you didn't, the whole world was going to end. Now, that's not necessarily the case with this because even in the worst case scenario, you know you're still only talking about single digit percent of the world population, you know, actually you know succumbing to this, and, and probably much less than that. But I'm saying even in the in the, the super you know uh, worst case scenario. Um, but it's bad enough for like the global economic system that at some point you have to imagine that, that those timelines are, are going to get accelerated. Now, where exactly times can be compressed, I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert in that field, but you know we've already seen trials fast tracked, and you know they're underway in Seattle, they're underway in China, and and you know and elsewhere. So um, I think. Uh, 
you know, 18 months is, is probably the, the extreme long end, especially if this deepens, you know, you'll, if this deepens or the death rate, you know, hikes up rules will get bent, Um, and, um, and, and every single, uh, inventor and, and you know, potential contributor to the solution will see, um, We'll see their their efforts get fast tracked. Yeah, I mean they've we've already seen them. I think skip animal testing and go straight to uh, you know live testing on humans. But uh, at least as the rules stand now, I believe it's twelve or fourteen months that they have to track anyone to make sure that there's no long term effects. So yeah, I do think it can be compressed to some degree, but uh, that it's still I think people have to realize that we're kind of uh, digging in for a pretty long haul here. Um, so uh, speaking of back to Bitcoin, do you think that the having narrative is now completely dead? The bullish having narrative, I guess I should say. Not necessarily. You know, I I think that it still matters, but I don't think that it's going to have the same catalyzing effect that it was was otherwise likely to have. What are the potential negative effects at this point? Well, I, I also think that the the narrative around you know the the, the quote unquote mining death spiral are are you know vastly overstated. Um, there's a pretty there's a chasm um, between mining farms that have the S nine kind of old um, ASIC chip technology and haven't yet upgraded or, or now having delays or issues with their their supply chains in terms of upgrading their farms. Um, and those that have the S17 and equivalent kind of you know next generation ASICs, the the latter group um, is still going to be able to mine profitably um, into the kind of low thousands of dollars. So you might see a, a 50% fall off in in hash rate post having if, if things you know kind of continue on their current trajectory, but that'll normalize. It's not gonna it's not gonna seize up the network. And you know, quite frankly, if if it did, I think, you know, this that'd be one of the areas where you'd see an emergency hard fork. Um, which is not without risks, but you know, I I feel like that would be one of the few existential threats to Bitcoin that would be overcome via um, the hard fork and the consensus algorithm. So, something that's uh, interesting that I've noticed of late, which is the opposite of what I would have thought. I've probably had 15 people call me in the last week and ask me if it's time to buy Bitcoin. And I mean, random people not involved in crypto at all. Is that something you've experienced? Because I would have ex- expected somewhat for retail interest to have completely died on that drop. Um, and it seems that actually it sort of is sparking interest. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I've I've certainly seen it too. I think, um, and 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 so maybe going back to our earlier thread, this um, this narrative of Bitcoin as an inflation hedge versus a disaster hedge, you know, maybe there maybe there is some staying power to that, um, because you know, first thing people see is is the sell off last week, and they say, "Holy shit, that's well, that's not a disaster hedge," um, but. Then you see the response this week, and you see the the S and P start continuing to tick down, and, and Bitcoin is more or less, you know, at least temporarily stabilized. Well, you know, all of a sudden things are moving so fast that people forget that we, we just had like a halving of the price last week because the S and P is down thirty percent, um, and the S and P is is uh, I'd say a much more mature index than the Bitcoin price index, right? So all of a sudden, um, in that same time period, you're talking about trillions of dollars of new stimulus, including helicopter money. Now people are thinking, 
okay, maybe maybe we could see inflation. Whether or not that's true or not, and by the way, I don't think that's true. I don't think that we'll see hyperinflation as a, as a result of, of this temporary stimulus. Not here. Um, not yeah, not here exactly. But but because um, but because people are conditioned to think more money equals inflation. Um, I should be thinking about gold. I should be thinking about uh, you know some other inflation hedge. Bitcoin's now firmly in that in that conversation, and I think that's important. And remember, Bitcoin's only a hundred billion dollar asset. You know, in reality, there's probably only seventy five billion of of float right now. Um, what are we at? Like, uh, yeah, we're we're ninety four according to OnChain FX by Masari. We're at ninety-four billion in market cap, but you know that's including Satoshi's coins. That's including you know the, the ten to fifteen percent estimate for for right, debt they're assets. Not circulating. So you know you're talking about seventy-five billion in float. I mean, look at look at some of the public companies right now that are are trading north of of seventy-five billion. Um, do you think that a, a monetary asset that could be um, a a a digital era substitute for gold for the same use case, do you think that is worth more than 1% of gold's market cap? If the answer is yes, then it should be part of your basket of assets for, for an inflation edge. I agree. What about national digital currencies like digital yuan, things like that? I mean, how do you think that those moving forward in light of what's happening, do you think they're more likely to happen? Do you think they're likely to affect Bitcoin? Well, I, th- I think that they were always likely to happen. Um, what the impact on on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are, it, it's it's still kind of a TBD. I I, um, I generally think that uh, you know the 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 digital yuan will take off, but it's just a different. It's just a, a very different use case. The digital dollar, digital yuan, very different from um, from Bitcoin right now. In, in that case. Bitcoin's volatility is a feature, not a bug, because it's already been dismissed as a credible currency. You know, it's a good value transfer mechanism, but because it's so volatile, it's never really taken seriously by world economists as something that could replace the dollar or the yuan or or any stable currency. Um, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, that makes Bitcoin. Uh, very resilient and 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 you know dangerous as, as an insurgent currency because by the time it ever became you know a, a gold standard it would it would have already you know subsumed so many other longer tail fiat currencies and that's you know that, that's basically the hyper bitcoinization narrative in a nutshell um, which uh, you know I honestly I don't know how I feel about it one way or the other but you know I've been pretty outspoken that if Bitcoin hits gold uh, in in terms of its its market value, you're you're literally talking about a, a, a half million seven hundred fifty thousand dollar Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> so I love hearing those numbers thrown out. Let me tell you, man, it gets me excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, so and 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 by the way, there's a certain point where you know. Bitcoin goes to a trillion dollars. It goes to a, a zillion dollars. Like the, the numbers stop mattering because at a a on a long enough timeline, like these fiat currencies are going to um, lose their purchasing power. Maybe you know the U.S. dollar won't for a very long time. But if you think about like Bitcoin versus the um, Argentinian peso, well, yeah, Bitcoin is going to be like a it's going to be worth a trillion pesos, 
or you know a gazillion pit like whatever <laughs> like it doesn't look matter at venezuela much. already i mean yeah, look right? at venezuela like, already right yeah exactly um so it's um i i i, I don't know i i think that um uh the narrative hasn't changed uh i i think that uh until people recognize the and kind of fully come to terms with the gravity of the situation um it's it's still going to get darker from here but um you know i'm i'm getting slowly more bullish that um that you know the west is moving in the right direction in terms of these shutdowns um i think it's still too late for many people i think you're still going to see a lot of of suffering um i'm still you know, personally worried a, a, a bit, even though, you know, our, our family's, you know, young and, um, and relatively healthy. It, it just, it doesn't seem like this, uh, virus necessarily discriminates and you can have outlier cases where it just completely, um, knocks you off your feet. Uh, I mean, it's and even, definitely, if, even, even if you do recover, you know, having your lungs permanently damaged isn't yeah, really something exactly. on my fucking to-do list. Right. I was just going to say that. And, and obviously, you know, I mean, the one silver lining for now is that it hasn't affected our children. Um, but, you know, with incomplete information, you always sort of question whether that can change or, you know, whether a bunch of 40 year olds are going to start, you know, dropping dead in mass um, and completely change the narrative. So it's, it's just really it is really a scary, scary time, especially when you're generally getting inaccurate information. Um. I wanted to just touch on something that you said. Uh, you coined the term in your Medium article, the chaos capacity curve, to describe the tipping point for a given community. Uh, can you explain that that idea? Uh, the chaos capacity curve uh, is basically just a ripoff of the flatten the curve um, meme that I'm sure most people have seen at this point. Everyone. Uh, the, the, so, so on most of these charts, there's a, a line that these two bell curves intersect with. And on the, on the left part of the um, chart, you've got the bell curve, which is basically, we don't take any mitigation strategies. This goes haywire. And we kind of cross this threshold um, of maximum support in the healthcare system. And we just run out of health system slack. Um, and then on the left part of the, or on the right part of the chart, you have this nice, neat little bell curve that kind of sits underneath the, the line. So that line is usually depicted as a straight line. In reality, it's a curve. And the reason is you can surge um, healthcare capacity or lose healthcare capacity to, depending on other variables as well, right? So if the US military um, or any military like we saw in China where they put up hospitals in 10 days gets involved, um, you can uh, rapidly increase your capacity, your, your chaos capacity, as it were. So you, you can basically provide more area under that curve before the healthcare system breaks. Um, likewise, if you lose capacity because you're too slow, there's, there's an accelerating negative impact because you weren't testing and your doctors didn't have enough, um, personal protective equipment. So that, that line is far from static, right? You're, uh, if you have reinforcements, it can be, you know, an upward sloping line with, with more area under the curve. If you lose personnel, um, and you don't have, the personal preparedness measures or, or any reinforcements, it could it could dip below what the otherwise steady state would be, um, and and I haven't seen anyone really think through those variables or, or plot those variables on a chart, but um, we we intuitively know them to be true. 
Um, it's just uh, you know a matter of of you know simplifying the message, and 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 I think that that one chart has probably done more good than just about anything else from a messaging standpoint that's been communicated by uh, health experts and, and epidemiologists so far. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you talk about uh, flattening the curve, which is, as you said, sort of the meme. But I think that, you know, we have examples like Italy where that has not happened. And it seems that the United States is probably far more like Italy than they are like China in terms of responsiveness or what to expect. I mean, they're seeing, you know, the Daily and the New York Times recently with a uh, Italian physician. I don't know if you listened to it, but he basically said that, you know, he's the director of the respiratory unit at a thousand bed hospital. And, you know, in under three weeks, over half of those beds are being used for coronavirus patients. They don't have any, you know, resources, uh, no masks, no ventilators, no anything. And they're basically just completely overwhelmed in under three weeks. I just don't see how that doesn't happen in many, many American cities. It seems like we're already at that tipping point in a lot of places, we just don't realize it yet. I mean, I just, I just don't understand how we, uh, we, we stop the train at this point. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's really a, a bit crazy. Did you buy, have you by any chance looked into any of the Italy stories? Uh, I've, you know, only when it was first breaking, um, you know, to, to be honest, I, I've tried to tune out as much as possible because I just know that we're going to get, you know, completely inundated, uh, pretty soon. I've, I've tried to, to the extent possible, um, limit the, uh, the overwhelming human, uh, exposure to this and just try to think in right. terms of, of, you know, numbers and, um, and what the, you know, what, what the different scenarios could be that play out because you can, you can drive yourself crazy looking at this stuff otherwise. Yeah. I think most people probably are, especially when they're sitting at home and uh, don't have much, much other to do. So I do, uh, there was one very hilarious thing that you wrote in your medium article that I wanted to point out and get your take on. You said that bitching is something we Americans are really good at. It may even be our leading unofficial export. <laughs> what did you mean by that? What are the implications of that in this scenario? Well, just that, uh, it was going to be a bit of a canary in the coal mine for, um, when, when things really got bad, right? When the, when the bitching changes over from, it's just the flu, this is bullshit that I can't go out in public and, and, you know, you can't take away my rights to, uh, bitching about the, you know, the government and the healthcare system just being overwhelmed and, and uh, I need this for my family or, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, I think, um, for better or for worse, that's when you're going to know that, that we've hit a transition point in the crisis. And you can probably, um, as you monitor that and you see all of the like petty concerns fall by the wayside, it will probably mean we're, we're kind of two weeks away from the, the darkest period it is at least my thesis and, and how I'm thinking about it. Because once people are properly scared and have no distractions and, and are taking like the self-isolation seriously, um, that's when you know the, this the spread will subside, and then you'll naturally see gradual dissipation. Um, a lot of pain in the interim period, but but gradual dissipation nonetheless. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like people are there yet. When you see a you know a full Disney World and and beaches uh, at near capacity, I think we're pretty far away from most uh, Americans getting to that point. 
And it's interesting. I think that a lot of it is this just general distrust in information and where they're getting it. I, I don't know how we change that, but I think that there's a huge pop, uh, portion of the population that just doesn't trust the media. So they believe that everything's overblown. I mean, do you agree with that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think the fourth estate has failed. I think our, our government has failed. I think um, you know this is, is going to, in many respects, cause a reset of a lot of our Western institutions. Um, uh, for, you know, from my perspective, I guess, uh, if you're more of a, a capitalist and, and, um, agile government, I'm, I, I hate saying libertarian because it, it basically, um, gives people the connotation that, you know, you're just a, a bit of an art anarchist. I, I really, right. I can't remember Taleb's exact quote, but it's perfect, right? It's, it's like, I'm a communist at home. I'm, a uh, 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 you know, a, a Democrat locally, I'm a Republican at the state level, I'm a libertarian at the federal level, something along those lines, um, right. which I think is which I think is accurate. And you're seeing that play out, right? Because the federal government is just, especially in the US, it's just, it's, it's so far behind here. It's just asleep at the wheel. Um, and you need uh, more of a federated response to something like this, or, or um, at least less, um, less bureaucratic bullshit uh, at the early phases, um, and really, you know, when when you actually need the the federal government to step up, you, you need it to be from a, a military um, response standpoint. You know, imagine if the the testing and the um, uh, and and the initial uh, decision making for how best to monitor and, and treat for these diseases and, and and evaluate patients was done. With much less FDA intervention, with with much less you know uh, federal overlord um, artificial barriers in place, and instead the only thing the federal government was doing, which is what it should be doing, um, basically military triage and rapid response, fighting this thing as if it was a war, right, and, and a bioterror exercise. Um, I feel like that would have been. Uh, a scenario in which the the federal government actually perform well versus trying to coordinate all these localized responses and the CDC not having the right fucking test kits and then the FDA's getting in the way with approval for you know for for other private solutions it, it's it's just been it's been a disaster and and it's kind of really exposed um, how uh, how inept the um, let's put everything in in the hands of the federal government. They'll know what's best. Mindset um, really is when it when it you know comes down to it, and there's an actual crisis. I agree. So just uh, I know we're getting up against it. So I just want to ask you, uh, how's it going for you personally with your kids uh, trapped in an apartment? You know, it, it's the the silver lining is it, it is springtime. So uh, we're trying to be you know safe, and we have uh, our you know, provisions and protective equipment. And, you know, we're not really interacting with people. We've got a balcony, uh, which is nice. Um, but it is nice out. So, you know, when, when we can, we, we try to get out of the house and, you know, go for, go for a walk and, and, you know, let the kids run around, um, in empty space for as long as possible. Uh, unfortunately I'd imagine that's probably going to come to a screeching halt in the next, a uh, couple of weeks, uh, but we'll, so. we'll we'll still have the 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 balcony area, and you know we'll we'll 
try to just bat down the hatches and, and hopefully wait for this to pass. Yeah, I think the silver lining for me, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, it's only been like a week of doing this and they've already now in Florida, they're closing schools till effectively the end of April. So we've got, and I think it'll be much longer than that. But the silver lining for me really has been that spending more quality time with my kids. I think I'm far more engaged when I'm not really worried about what I might be missing on the outside or what else is going. And I hope that people, you know, can really sort of capitalize on this quality time that we wouldn't have otherwise had. I mean, that has to be the only positive aspect of it really at the moment. So, um, you know, I just really hope that uh, everyone is able to keep their mental health together and really spend some time with their loved ones. Um, so where can everybody find you after this uh, to keep following you and your takes on, on what's happening? I am at two bit idiot all spelled out. Um, very, very fitting. Uh, I, does, 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 does anything call out the utter absurdity of trusting official sources quite like having at two bit idiot being one of the handful of rational fucking people that were, uh, actually studying this and taking it seriously six weeks ago. Like if that doesn't, uh, if that just like, there's, you, you give you give a man a mask, he'll tell you the truth, and it just kind of exposes just how uh, completely uh, overwhelmed uh, our society is with bullshit and, and false information. Anyway, um, less about me and more just a, a, a macro comment. Um, but the site. Well, maybe this will clear some of that out. Maybe we will uh, eliminate some of the bullshit from society when this is all said and done. Well, that, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but um, I, I just wish it didn't come at such a great cost. Um, and then as a company, uh, we're Masari.io. Um, and uh, we have a number of tools that we're going to be releasing specifically to help people uh, track the coronavirus, key stats, news, and, and updates since I've been tracking this so closely anyway. And it's, it's been you know really in high demand and, and all anybody really wants to talk about. So leveraging our charting tools and, and kind of advanced screeners and, and alerts tools to, um, to give people an up-to-date view, depending on what region they're in or, or, or that they're studying for, uh, for some of the open source um, data that, that is available. Uh, and then last but not least, we announced last week uh, we will be hosting an entirely virtual event series. Uh, we already have 100 confirmed speakers uh, out of my closest friends that I'd worked with previously at, um, at Coindesk on the speaker side. You know, most, of the, most of the major investors and, and industry executives will be participating. This is mainnet.events, mainnet with two Ns. Dot events, and that's going to be a virtual summit that we host in June with 50% of our profits from the event going to third parties, whether those are relief efforts um, or to causes within crypto that are critical infrastructure providers that might be taking a wallop right now, given the market conditions. So um, lots of good stuff coming out at a company level. We're, uh, we're, we're as prepared as I think we're going to be um, for better or for worse. And um, hopefully we all pull through this, but uh, we are otherwise going to continue to try to crank out good content and, and keep people informed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and for all of your insight. And I hope that people really do choose to follow you because you have, as I've said before a few times, been been far, far ahead of the curve. So thank you very much for all of that. Thanks for having me, Scott. That's dope. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.